Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes that they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Christy McPhee gave up her life as a real estate agent and completely shifted her focus to helping children, youth, and families through the Manitoba Writing for the Disabled Association. As executive director, Christy continues to fight for inclusion and equality while giving kids the experience of a lifetime. To be brave enough to walk outside your box and help that child who's different or to be brave enough to stand up for that child who's maybe not got friends or or is being picked on is something that I don't think it comes naturally for people but I think we all have it in us. Christy recently participated in the Winnipeg Foundation's Fast Pitch event where she honed her presentation skills and competed against 11 other nonprofits here in our city for a $10,000 grand prize. I sat down with Christy McPhee from the Manitoba Riding for the Disabled Association to talk about her experience at Fast Pitch, the power of inclusion, and her deeply personal connection to the organization that's helping these kids learn, grow, and live their best lives. Because every child deserves a friend. Christy McPhee, Executive Director of the Manitoba Riding for the Disabled Association, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. It's good to see you again after the whirlwind of Fast Pitch last week. It was kind of crazy for you to be up on stage. Oh, awesome. It's such an awesome experience. Let's talk about it. Yeah, for sure. So how'd you get involved? What, what? When the email came or the phone call came, what were what were your first thoughts when you heard about Fast Pitch? So originally when I heard about it, I was thinking, perfect, I have this five-minute speech that I give everywhere. Um, we're just going to whittle it down. This is going to be a piece of cake. And then when you get in there and you're meeting Kate and you're meeting your coaches and you're like, no, like I am starting from scratch. We're starting all over. But it was such an awesome opportunity to really expand, learn a lot of things, really dive into why we do what we do. For sure. So Fast Pitch for people who don't know is basically like Dragon's Den for the charitable sector where we brought in the Winnipeg Foundation brought in 12 charitable organizations and they all learn to tell their story or tell their pitch in three minutes or less. And if you uh, go over your three minute time, your mic gets cut and you're in front of 300 people at the, at the showcase. What was it like standing up on stage and telling your story when you're looking out in a sea of, of strangers, essentially some, some friends and family, but a sea of strangers and you're telling your story. It, you know, it's such an awesome opportunity because it's something as a charity, you don't get that platform very often. So when you're first going up, of course, nerves is the number one thing you're feeling. You're just thinking, oh my gosh, don't let me screw this up. But uh, you get out there and everyone is so supportive and everyone's there and wants you to succeed. So it's this amazing feeling of gratitude that you have the opportunity. And then when you come off just this, the friends you meet and everything, it's, it's just such an awesome experience. I know as an official Winnipeg Foundation staff member, I'm probably not supposed to publicly say who I, ch- who I had a pick for, but as soon as I saw your pitch, I, you were my pick. Uh, I always have a soft spot for kids. And when I, when you revealed the whole story with Peyton and, and everything, I was just immediately like tears welled up in my eyes. But uh, we'll talk about Peyton later, later and we'll talk about the Manitoba Writing for the Disabled Association later. But Sticking with Fast Pitch, did, what did you learn about yourself during this whole process? You know, there's a lot. I learned um, from my coaches and, and from Kate again um, how to be a little bit more vulnerable um, and really put yourself into what you're talking about. So, well, 
there's lots that goes on and you think your organization is amazing. If you can really bring that back and relate it to how it's affecting you, it's going to make your pitch stronger. Um, if that makes sense, really yeah. bringing it back. And, and we have a personal connection because our daughter rides with the program. But uh, that was really helpful. And then really with the coaches working on these technical things that you don't always have that opportunity. So your pronunciation, um, really breaking down what's important and what needs to be said in three minutes and what you can maybe leave out and expand later. So I'm guessing the five minute sort of canned pitch that you already had was pared down. Obviously it would have to be, but what did you leave out? What did you add in? What did you think was important before that you now realize isn't maybe so much? Right. So actually, to tell you the truth, we can the entire thing. My entire original appeal was just axed, <laughs> which was which was awesome because you go in thinking that you have this amazing pitch. And then when you hear these outside opinions, you're like, oh, that's awesome. Maybe maybe there are things that are more important. So I quite often when I'm speaking to people, I focus on the fact we're volunteer based and um, that we don't have government funding. But really, when we I sat down with my coaches and they were saying, you know, those are important, definitely. But what we want to get to is we want to get to people's emotions. And how we're going to do that is by connecting them with a story. So it was great to have um, the opportunity to tell a story about how writing has affected a particular child um, and the, the gains a child has seen and the experiences she's having. So, I mean, this is a perfect time as any, but not to put you on the spot, but would you be able to tell the story of kind of what you told at fast pitch? No, you don't have to do your exact, we have the, yeah. rec we have the rec audio recording of your pitch. <laughs> oh, I haven't practiced it for a couple of days. <laughs> no, worries. but just tell us the story of, of what, what this vulnerability was and, and your connection to the organization. For sure. So, um, the story is about a little girl named Peyton, who's my daughter. And, um, Peyton goes to school every day and she she sees the children at school and she sees them with their hockey jackets and their ringette jackets and she really wants to fit in. She really wants to, to be a part of what they have, have that team uh, bond that they all have. And it's really hard when you you have autism or ADHD to find that place where you fit in. So when, when she found riding and riding for the disabled, she was able to form a connection with, um, with her coaches, with the other kids who ride, with the volunteers, um, and with her horse. And even though he doesn't talk, he, he's a huge part of this story, um, because he's always there to be a friend and he's always ready to listen. Um, and, and he loves Peyton and Peyton loves him. You can just see the connection right away when, when they're together, um, and through doing this, she's really gained this new self-confidence and this ability to um, to express herself and have something she can go to school and tell kids about and and get to be her own really brave superhero because not everybody gets to ride a horse. Not everybody can ride a horse. So this little tiny 42-pound girl who maybe can't skate or maybe she can't do ballet or, or, or keep up at soccer, but she can get on this 1,100-pound animal and and. Be a hero to herself. So. She sounds amazing. She's spicy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I've ridden a horse once in my life and it was a weirdly magical experience. Like I was probably 23, 24 years old, but like it, it's a weird bond and a res mutual respect and this kind of intense sort of 
connection that you have. So is that happening even with a, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten year old? For sure. Um, and I always tell the story the first time Peyton rode, she, we showed up at the barn and uh, she got on the horse and she screamed for an hour. <laughs> she was terrified. And I don't know if you've, you've stood by a horse. They, they look oh, not too big, but when you get beside them, oh, they're huge. huge. Yeah. They're massive. And uh, as for a six-year-old child who, who's tiny in stature, it's like a David, like a giant situation going no on. So um, she screamed for the whole first session, but then she came back next week and she only screamed for half the session. <laughs> and uh, she's slowly, you can see them and, and the horse, you can see him. It's like he's put on his bow tie and he's ready to go to work when she's there. He's, nope, we're going to do this. Um, and you can tell even though she's becoming heightened, he's becoming calmer. He's going to work her through this. So it, it's pretty amazing that they're working together as a team to make this work every time. Is there a special training sort of like that the horses need to go through or are all horses naturally able to kind of calm people down or I, I don't know enough about them to. Yeah, I think, I mean, any horse is able to kind of, they have a calming effect being just like any animal. Mm. But for our program, uh, the horses are trained through Westwind Stables where we lease them and they do have to have a a certain temperament. They, some of them, and it depends on the child they're mashed with, right? Because some children are really squirmy Mm -hmm. and you have to have a horse that's okay with kids squirming. Some like to hug their horse and some horses don't love being hugged. So, but same thing with the kids. Some of them, um, are quite snuggly and some kids don't like to be snuggled, but some need that snuggle. So we really work to match the horse with the child when right. they're riding. Yeah, that makes sense. So part of the pitch that you were making was asking specifically for a rebrand for the organization. Right. Um, what was the impetus for that? And, and let's talk a little bit about you know, the Manitoba Riding for the Disabled Association. You're, you're hoping for a name change, is that right? Definitely. So um, that the word disabled, it's not really a people first word. And it's not a word that anyone wants to be associated with, but but especially a child. And I relate it back always to the the team jackets. And, and we go to school and we see the St. Estash Jets or the Southdale Seals. And those kids put on their jackets or their toques and their hats, and they are so proud to wear them. And it's hard for a child to put on a jacket that says disabled on it and have that be something that they're related with. Um, so we'd really like to change our name. That's something we are we are going to be doing um, to give it something that the kids can be really proud of and put their jacket on and their sweatshirts on and be really proud of that new name. How long has this organization been uh, around for? 43 years. Right. So yeah, so a long time. So it's time. <laughs> well, it kind of speaks to how language changes, you know, and how some words are are maybe appropriate 50 years ago, but now not so much. Because I'm admittedly used to be someone who's like, ah, what? it doesn't matter what the words are. You know, words don't really matter that much. But then hearing your pitch and thinking back to how how painfully I wanted to fit in at her age and at, you know, in high school, especially or whatever it is, like thinking back to I would do anything to just be the same as everyone else, right? And it, it's probably the same for Peyton and all the kids at the at the organization. Yeah, definitely. It's And it's 10 times harder for a child who, who has different abilities to fit in because they're already different and they're already going through all these challenges. Um, 
So we really want to give them that opportunity to have something they can talk about and, and be proud of. Has there been discussions about what words we're going to choose or what, what the brand is going to be? Or are we still in the oh, initial stages? You know, we go all over. We actually had someone reach out from Fast Pitch and they had thrown out a couple words. Um, courage and canter, horses and heroes. And their um, amenity gates, someone said, because it's such an amenity for the kids to be able to ride. So no firm decisions made, uh, but we are definitely looking at lots of different options yeah know? there's definitely lots of different directions you could go for sure for sure how many kids are involved and like tell me about sort of the day-to-day -day with the organization of what what actually happens when... yeah for sure so we can ride in any one session we ride two sessions a year and each session is 10 weeks long and each session we can hold a maximum of 24 kids so um four classes of six is what we do um but for that to run we need over 100 volunteers which is an amazing number. We're so lucky to get that every time. Um, but we also require instructors who are certified through CANTRA, which is Canadian Association of Therapeutic Riding. And then we're very lucky to also have volunteer um, speech pathologists and occupational therapists mm. that partake in the program as well. So the kids ride um, for the 10 weeks and they're eligible for eight sessions, at which point we graduate the kids. Um, and the reason being is only because we have a wait list and we always want to kind of cycle through. If we could, we would keep these kids forever. <laughs> but uh, we, we try to get everybody in. So The demand is higher than the current supply? It is, yeah. yeah. Are there different programs around Manitoba or is this one a, a unique one? We're kind of one of a kind. Mm -hmm. um, we have heard of some other programs. I don't I can't speak too much about them, but there there isn't a lot of opportunities for children with disabilities to ride horses. And that is one of our issues and, and something we are hoping to, in our long-term plan, because sometimes when the kids graduate from our program, there's not somewhere else where they can go. So the goal is that hopefully they'd be able to take a private or a group lesson, and that's what we work towards, but not all kids can. So it's... Uh, it's in the in the works eventually to have a, a step two or a second stage program. For sure. So you said something in your pitch that stuck with me. Something I don't know if this is the exact words, but the a horse's gait mimics the human something about walk human how humans walk, walk yeah. right? Explain what that means, because I'm a bit of an oaf. And how does that help these kids sort of uh, come out of their shells a little right. bit? Right. So for a child who's never had the ability to walk, a horse's gait mimics a human's walk. So it when they're sitting on the horse, they will feel that. They'll feel what it's like to walk in essence. So their bodies and their muscle tone will actually kind of mimic what's going on, which is awesome and amazing. And we don't just walk. I think I said this to you. We're going to run. So we're going to we're going to feel it the full way. So. And I can only imagine the look on someone's face when they've never been able to walk before. Never mind feel the wind in their face and actually run faster than a human can run right it's amazing and i uh we actually have had a, a few riders but one in particular i can think of and she doesn't have the muscle tone to smile um and her parents had told and we had gone up and said to her parents did you see her face she was beaming after she just ran and the parents said no no she can't smile she doesn't have the muscle tone and so we turned the horse so it would run towards the parents. And they said for the first time ever, they actually saw her smile. So it's a pretty, pretty fantastic thing to be able no to, to show that to a parent. Yeah. No kidding.
Um, so what's Peyton like? What was the first time you, I mean, you mentioned she was screaming, but what's she right. like now when, when she gets oh, with Henry, I think is professional. The yeah. Professional rider now. Really? <laughs> so, no, I wouldn't say that, but, uh, <laughs> she looks forward to this. So she, she really looks forward to going, to being with her horse, to seeing her friends, to seeing her coaches. Um, she walks in like she owns the place, 42 pounds of terror, we call her, but, uh, she walks in like she owns the place and, and she's ready. She gets her helmet on, she gets her belt on, she's got her boots and she's ready to ride. Um, so we start each child with three volunteers. So, um, a sidewalker, which walks on either side of the child and they kind of keep the children engaged. And then we have a leader and that leader helps with the horse. So kind of keeps them in control. Uh, for some of the kids, they will always have a leader that, that leads them for some of them. They'll, they'll, um, graduate to ride independently, but we've watched her go from, from needing all three volunteers to slowly, going down to one sidewalker, riding with no sidewalkers. And it's amazing as a parent to see that progression and the excitement and and watch her be so proud of herself to be able to. Sometimes she still asks for the sidewalkers because she likes for someone to talk to. But mm. Chatty Kathy. Yeah. That reminds me of um, similar to on a bike when you'd have your training wheels and then one yeah. training wheel comes off and then the other one yeah. comes off and then you're just ripping around. Exactly. That's it's crazy. pretty cool. What yeah. is she, what do you hope for her moving forward and what is she hoping for from this program? Um, I mean, there's a lot that, uh, she's gained so much from it. And, and when we had originally gone in we thought, well, it's something she can do and it's something she can try. And if she likes it, she likes it. And if she doesn't, she doesn't. And we had no idea the amount it would affect her life, how her entire room would be transformed into a room of horses and ponies and unicorns everywhere. Um, but it's been great. So we're hoping she has a couple sessions left. And then at which point we're kind of hoping we'll be able to graduate her to private lessons. Um, which is fantastic because, like I said, it's it's really hard to find activities for them. No so. kidding. So, did you were you the ED before she no. got involved, or how, what's the what's the connection there? So, I was a real estate agent. Wow. <laughs> so totally different. Um, uh, and when we got Peyton involved, uh, we our family has no experience with horses at all. We are hockey people. I tell people, and horses. I was like, well, we'll try this out. Looks all right. Um, and once I got there. 100% sold. When you see the volunteers and the horses and the kids, you're in. So um, I joined the board as quickly as I possibly could. Um, and at which point, you know, you, it was just a slow progression. And when they were looking for an executive director, I thought, yeah, I want to do this. I want to be a part of this. Um, and I want to see this organization grow. So how can I do that? Well, let me get a job here. <laughs> wow. How long ago was this? So I started last April. Wow. So yeah. Less Very than a quick. Year. Yeah. What's it like transitioning from that world into the sort of nonprofit world? Oh, well, I uh, tell people all the time it's for profit to nonprofit is like a 360. So you go from um, a for profit world where uh, my computer's not working. I'll order a new laptop. No big deal write my expense report, it's done, to now being like, I'm going to count my pens every day, make sure they're all still there. <laughs> and uh, not quite to that extreme. Yeah. But to really watching your pennies, to knowing that every dollar counts. So you really want to watch and be very conscious of your budget. Um, but you're also, this. Um, it's this amazing experience where you go in 
and you're changing somebody's life every day. So you're getting to see these kids who are being changed and, and being affected by the program and their parents and uh, the amount of gratitude and, and, and hugs. I've never been hugged so much in my life as I have the last year. So it, it's been pretty awesome. Yeah, I've, I've heard that sentiment quite a bit in interviewing people in this world and talking to people in this world is that, yeah, your paycheck might not be as big as it used to be or whatever, but the the when you can when you look yourself in the mirror every morning or every night you're you it's just a whole different experience when you when you're literally changing lives so and it, it it sounds so cheesy but it actually doesn't feel like going to work because you're excited every day to go because you know someone is excited for you to go to work and change something that day so it, it makes it really easy to get up in the morning and and, and go so i've when it comes to th- children with disabilities or people with disabilities it was a lot different 30 years ago you know or 40 years ago like we talked about when the organization was founded how have you seen or have you changed your approach when it comes to dealing with people having this personal experience you know compared to when you were a kid or 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 younger because society is changing but it's still not fully there yet right so can you talk a little bit about the steps that we still need to take as a community to 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 fully be inclusive for sure there's there's so much and and like you said we've come so far and it's amazing but there is still so much um that we can do and a lot of times i think we sometimes see a disability before we see a person and that's that's a really hard thing and i remember as a kid oh always thinking like you need to be kind to that child. They, they're they different and, and wanting to be kind. But what I'm seeing now in Peyton's friends, and, and she has three friends, and I'm going to say their names in case their moms are listening, but it's uh, Caitlin Taylor and Alyssa. And uh, I might cry, but they see Peyton. They don't see a child with a disability. They they are so brave. They They see her at school and if she's sitting by herself at lunch they sit with Peyton if if Peyton doesn't have a partner for a project no problem she always has a partner a partner um they invite Peyton to her birthday their birthday parties because they want her there not because they need her there um they show up and sit all day at a 30 degrees at a track meet for special olympics to watch her run a 60 meter sprint and, and not because their mom said you should but because they see her as a person and they are real, true friends. And I think it's just amazing because 30 years ago, we may not have seen this, right? We, we saw kids that were kind because they should be here because mom said I should, but we didn't see this true friendship that kids are learning and the empathy that they're learning. And I think that's it's just amazing. Is the next generation just better than us? Or like, I, well, you know, where does this come from? Is it just coming from education? Is it coming from how, how are they just more and more empathetic generation? Probably. I, I don't have a total answer, but I would think with schools being more inclusive, activities being more inclusive, there's such a push on, on, on kids learning people and, and learning to accept differences. And I think they're growing up in this world where it's just normal to um, maybe the child sitting beside you has autism. Maybe they're in a wheelchair. To them, it's it's just absolutely normal. And it's such it's so neat to see the progression from when we were kids to watching my own kids. And I can't wait to see where my grandkids will be. It's pretty neat to watch. Yeah, some differences used to be a reason to 
um, disconnect from someone, but now differences are celebrated yeah. or, or hopefully, right? Like, oh, what makes you different makes you cool. Right. And, and kids are starting to realize that, whereas back in the day, we didn't really have that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's super neat. So at the end of our time together, we have the same seven questions that we ask everyone. It's called the Just Because segment where however you want to answer it, we'll see how it goes. Right. And most people have had a good time. So you down to do that? Perfect. Yeah. Okay, great. Question one is what is the very first cause you actually ever remember caring about? So I remember um, I, I grew up with a really strong female presence. I had uh, two very, very strong grandmothers um, who raised very strong girls and who had boys who married very strong girls. So I was never thought that there was anything I couldn't do um, or I never thought anything about differences. And one day I, but that being said, I was terrible at shops class, like embarrassingly terrible. And, uh, one of the boys said to me, well, you're terrible because you're a girl. And I remember that just shocking me. Like, what do you mean? Because I'm a girl. No, I'm terrible. Cause I'm terrible at shops. <laughs> and that really took me aback. Cause it was the first time in my life. I realized that people saw people as different because of their gender or because of their race. And, uh, I just remember thinking, like, how can this be? Like, how do people think like that? So, and I remember wanting to go out and protest and march and do what I could do. And then being victim to having to wait for your parents to carpool you everywhere. You aren't able to do all those things. But uh, yeah, definitely the first thing I really wanted to do. And my first thought of, I need to change the world. So Has that thread um, consisted within you? Um, I think in my personal life, I... I um, I, I really truly believe that there are no differences to anybody and that we need to accept everybody for where they are, who they are and, and where they are. So I try to, to kind of live my life and teach my kids to live that way as well. So. That seems to be the best antidote to hatred is just, well, your grandma raised strong, strong women, she, your mom raised a strong woman and now you're going to raise strong women too. Yes. It's beautiful. <laughs> uh, question two, if money and politics politics and logistics were no issue to you at all, what's the first thing you would do in support of your current cause? I would grow the program and offer so many more services. I um, I think every day I come up with a new idea for something I want to do. And then you think, oh, money though. Mm. <laughs> but uh, we have so many people that reach out to our, the children we serve are age five to 15, but we have so many people who ask for programming for people over that age. Um, for seniors who used to ride and can't ride anymore, um, for uh, veterans coming back with PTSD. And right now we just don't have the funding to be able to provide those services, but we will. Mark my words, we will. <laughs> is the biggest hurdle just funding or is there like logistical hurdles as well? There's, there's logistical as well because right now all our coaches are volunteers. So we ask for a lot from a volunteer. We're asking them for, for four to six hours a week to be a volunteer coach. And not only that, but there's a cost associated with being certified. And a lot of our coaches have paid for that themselves. That's how much they believe in the program. Wow. So, um, We'll, we'll get there, but uh, certifying coaches takes a few years and, and the cost associated is, is always a hurdle with any not-for-profit. <laughs> it's a marathon, not a sprint. It is, yes. Beautiful. Uh, question three, what's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about the cause? Um, and I think because we're associated, uh, we fall under Canadian Association of Therapeutic Riding. So I think a lot of people believe that we're providing the therapy or we're providing, we're 
therapy. They can claim us under benefits or, or anything like that. But truthfully, we're not providing the therapy. The horses are. Um, we have, we're trained uh, through the, the association um, to, to be mindful of disabilities and, and, uh, all abilities, but really the therapeutic benefit comes from being around the animal, from sitting on the animal and, and riding and, and the animal helping you to work your muscles and the social skills and the psychological benefits to being around the animal and the volunteers. So does that mean, well, it seems like that's just a technicality to me. Like the the, the experience is therapeutic. Def- well, right? yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. So is that just for how it's all kind of broken down when it comes to the funding and when it comes to insurance and things? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I think people believe we are therapists and, and oh. while we have therapists kind of on our, on our volunteer board, they're not there particularly to provide therapy. We tap into their knowledge. Gotcha. <laughs> but, yeah, you have um, to be careful to not um, over-promise or right. say, yeah, okay, that makes right, sense. Right. Uh, question four, what's a time in your life where you had, well, I mean, pivoting to this new job is yeah. one, but what's a time in your life where you had to pivot because a plan just wasn't working out for you? So um, I, I'm going to say anybody who's a parent will say every day, <laughs> but uh, I would say the biggest pivot is- Especially a parent uh, to triplets, you yeah. said? Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I would say with the triplets, I mean, that was a pivot going from <laughs> one to three. But um, when Peyton was diagnosed with autism, that was probably our biggest um, pivot in life. Um, How and old and what was the situation? She was 18 months old and we were very lucky because they were triplets. They were enrolled in a study. So she was diagnosed really early, um, which doesn't happen for a lot of families. So we were really, really lucky that way. But um, there's a poem and it's about how parenting a special needs child is like planning a trip to Paris and you're excited to go to Paris and you learn French and you buy French things and you get ready to eat French food and then the plane drops you in Holland and you have to learn a different language and you have to buy new guidebooks. But if you sit down and you kind of look around, you're going to see that Holland has Rembrandt. Holland's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of great things to it, but we really, me and my husband had to really change everything because you go from these expectations of they're all going to start hockey at five. We are going to be in this nursery school and we're going to do this to we're going to play groups And then you're changing your mind to know we're going to speech pathology and we're going to start hockey. Actually, we're going to start physical therapy. So there's a lot of change that goes through your mind um, and you kind of change your direction and you learn to celebrate these little accomplishments like saying a first word or taking a first step or the first time your child looks you in the eye. So it's been a pretty awesome experience, but definitely something that you really had to pivot and and wrap your head around. No kidding, for sure. What's the dynamic with her siblings? They are, you know, she is, uh, so Peyton has three brothers, the the two, they're triplets, the three of them, and then she has a younger brother as well. And she has them wrapped around her finger. (laughs) They, uh, if she says tea party, they're having a tea party. Oh my goodness. If she drops her backpack and says, go pick that up, they're on it. So we spend a lot of time saying, you know, don't let her manipulate you. Like, <laughs> be a part of it. But they are so supportive. They are happy to miss a hockey game to watch her get a ribbon at riding. Um, they are at every Special Olympics track meet and they are the loudest kids there. So it, it's a pretty special bond. It's beautiful. Uh, question five. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Um, and it sounds very callous, but the best thing I was ever told was when Peyton was entering school, somebody said to me, you know, 
you're not going to make a lot of friends, but your job is not to make friends here. Your job is to get your child educated. And I thought to myself, but you can kill more uh, flies with honey yeah. than you can with vinegar, right? But I think the idea behind that and what I've learned, um, whether you're advocating for education or services for your child, is that sometimes saying this isn't good enough is not a popular opinion. Um, and while you need to be kind and, and you need to be understanding, you also need to know when to stand up and say, no, I need more from you or no, let's look at another alternative. And people might not always like that, but they will respect it. Mm -hmm. So I think um, just knowing where to stand, knowing when to advocate and knowing that no isn't always no is been a great advice for me. Well, it just sounds like setting boundaries society's boundaries for for kids with autism aren't necessarily in the right spot right now and we kind of have right. to move those goalposts a little bit to to be more inclusive who gave you that advice or do you remember this you know, situation it, it was a parent of another child that had autism and they they had said i'm a few years ahead of you in this and here's where you're gonna struggle um and I just remember thinking they were just nuts when they said that to me, but it's advice I live by and it's advice I give to parents all the time when they come with issues, whether it's um, issues finding services, issues finding therapies, issues with education, recreation. Sometimes you just have to push harder. So It's okay to rock the boat when, when the stakes are that high. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, don't worry about being polite and making friends. Sometimes you gotta... You gotta be the squeaky wheel once in a while. <laughs> Great advice. Uh, sticking with advice, what what advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could talk to her right now? I think um, I would say to her, you can be brave. Um, and, and going back to those three girls, to to Taylor and Caitlin and Alyssa, I think, you know, as a kid, I, I was very kind and I was happy to talk to anybody. But to be brave enough to walk outside your box and help that child who's different or to be brave enough to stand up for that child who's maybe not got friends or or is being picked on is something that I don't think it comes naturally for people but I think we all have it in us and so I wish I could go back and say you're doing a good job but you can do better <laughs> do better so yeah I think about the joys of that you're denying yourself by not putting yourself out there and, and making that new friend, right? Because how much fun do those girls have together? I can only imagine. And they're amazing. You know, they laugh and and they ex, ex, they're great friends to Peyton, but they expect Peyton to be great friends back. And that in itself has been such a learning opportunity for her because learning by natural consequence how to have a conversation back and forth, that doesn't come naturally to her. Learning that if I yell because I don't get my own way, my friends are just going to walk away. Um, I mean, you can't teach that as an adult to a child because if I walk away from her, she's like, oh, thank goodness, <laughs> she's gone. <laughs> but um, if her friends do it, she's like, okay, I need to think this through. What did I do? What can I do differently? How can I be a good friend? So those opportunities are, they're amazing. They're worth a million dollars to me, everything she learns from her friends at school. Just a chance to be normal. Yeah, definitely. Just what everybody wants, right? It's beautiful. Uh, question seven. Thank you for the podcast. You're, this is your first podcast ever. Hopefully it's not your last because you are you have a lot of wisdom to share with the world. So thank, thank you. you. But the last question is, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, and I struggle with this. Um, I think... I just want to change a couple kids' lives. That's really what I want. I want um, 
a few kids to be a little bit braver because of me. I want a few kids to try something they've never tried before because I was able to run a program that allowed them to do that. Um, For parents to say, my kid got to do this because she ran that program. Um, So I think just be remembered for me. (laughs) But uh, I don't know if that's a great answer. No, it's a great answer. And I'm sure you've already changed a lot of kids' lives and and well, including Peyton's and and her friends. So Kristen McPhee, thank you for being here. Uh, Good luck with everything moving forward. Keep us, keep in touch. And well, I would like to kind of learn more about the organization and see what the, where the rebrand lands and uh, everything that's happening for your future. For sure. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you again to Christy McPhee for being on the podcast today and being so honest and sharing uh, Peyton's story. And uh, it was really cool to get to know Christy and everyone that was in uh, Fast Pitch. Christy's story, as I mentioned, was very uh, effective, let's say. And I was definitely, definitely welling up with tears when I first heard about Peyton and her story and just how she lights up. And it was really cool to, uh, to hear it. A little bit more about Peyton and a little bit more about the organization. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. If you enjoyed listening to the podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend or a family member that you think would uh, that would benefit from hearing it. Christy's story is very cool and very interesting and very inspirational in my opinion. So uh, yeah, share it out. It really helps us out quite a bit. All music on the Because and Effect podcast is produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can hear more of his original music at trentonburton.com. Special thank you to Sonny Promolo and Robert Cirk for production assistance on the podcast and to everyone at the Winnipeg Foundation for your continued support. Because in Effect is a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, and you can follow us on social media by searching at WPGFDN on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can follow me at Nolan Bicknell on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's all for this week's show. We've got a couple more left in this season, so we'll see you next week, same time and same place, and remember... Diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. Bye-bye.